If you have your Bible, open to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to be rereading verses 12 through 17 in just a few moments, and then we'll look a little further down at the end of our time together. So as you know, we've been working through this series on adoption, a seat at the table, and today we're going to kind of conclude this three-part message, the doctrine of adoption, specifically as we've been looking at the the membership into God's family. It's been kind of short but significant as we kind of worked through the scriptures. If you remember week one, we kind of looked at the pillars of adoption, like what does the Bible say about this? And we looked at God's big plan and his providence and all of those things. And then last week we looked at some of the privileges that go along with being adopted, like what are some of the benefits of that? And today we're going to kind of just park and look at and consider practical implications of adoption. How does this actually impact my life and your life, because what we're not looking to do is just fill our heads with some sort of head knowledge about, I I know this doctrine, but to actually have it impact our heart to the reality of life change that we're actually living these things out, and it actually goes a little bit more meaningful, a little bit more deeper within our personal walk and talk of life. And so today, as we're looking at this, I want you to be asking and answering two questions. So I want you to keep going back to this as we're considering this adoption of adoption, are you bearing the family resemblance, right? Because if you're, you're adopted into a family, like this is now your new family, are you bearing the family resemblance? And number two, are you fulfilling the family business? If you're in a family business, see what it means. Like, okay, God, God's, uh, I, I'm, I'm a part of this family business. Now I have this work that I am supposed to do and achieve. And so we want to be thinking of those things. Are you bearing the family resemblance and are you fulfilling the family business. The title of today's message is The Reality of Adoption. What I don't want us to do is just walk away from here just saying, so what? I want us to walk away from here saying, oh, this is so good and good and practical for my everyday life. And so having said that, we're going to look at verses 12 through 17, uh, keeping in mind the things he spoke of before this is like, because of the gospel, because of the gospel, these things are true. There's a change in difference before Christ, before adopted, and then after Christ once you are adopted. And so having that in mind, we're not going to dissect all this because we actually went over some of this last week. It says in verse 12 of Romans 8, So then, brothers and sisters, family, right? We are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, just doing our own thing. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those that are led by God's Spirit are God's sons. But you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit, that we are God's children, and if God's children are also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. We just went over a lot of different things right here. And like I said, we're not going to be able to unpack all of those things. I would really strongly encourage you to read and reread and study Romans chapter 8, because it's so rich and robust, and if you dive into it, uh, you will be blessed by what you discover. Having said all of these things, let's open with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this time. We cry out to you, Father, and it's because it's true that we, we, we pray that way. 
But Father, I pray that today we would not be controlled by the flesh or live by fear, but I pray that by your spirit that you sent, we would be empowered to move forward by faith, enduring all of the highs and lows of life. Father, we get this great and wonderful privilege that we can cry out to you, Abba, Father, at any time, any place, anywhere. What a thought that is. Father, you are committed to conforming us, to transforming us into your children, to bear your image. And you've called us to invite others into your family as well. Father, may we not shy away from our duties. May we not shy away in the, in the midst of suffering, but may we stand firm by your grace and for your glory. What a privilege it is to be adopted. May we see the, the practical implications, the realities of that now, and that we would live in light of these things from now on. And so, Lord, although our time is short, may this be an impactful time within our heads and within our hearts. We ask for your word and your spirit to move. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. There's a quote I read this week by John Piper. It said this, The deepest and strongest foundation of adoption is located not in the act of humans adopting humans. Oh, that's a cute little baby we'll adopt there. But rather in God adopting humans. We actually sung this song uh, two songs ago that had that line that once your enemy now seated at your table... You see, God looks at us and our disdain from him and our rebellious heart against him, and he says, you know what? I love you. It, even when, before we loved him, he loves us and said, you know what? I've reserved a seat at the table for you. I want to adopt you in. I want you to be a part of my family. I don't know about you, but if you have enemies, who are you? Are you inviting your enemies to your Thanksgiving dinner? No, you are not. You're saying, you're not welcome here. It's only my close friends and family. And, and God would look at, at us, sinful people, that would shake our fists and rebel against what God has instructed us to do. And he'd say, I welcome you in. I actually have a seat at the table for you. You're my enemy, but I want to welcome you in as a family member. Like, what an amazing thought that God in his great love would, would, would act in such a way that a holy God would make a way for sinful people to be adopted into his family. It's extremely profound, and it should profoundly impact the way in which we live. We ought not just take that and not be changed by it. In fact, if we actually understand and embrace this, we will be changed by it. We can't possibly live the same way. It changes us, and so our big idea is this. Seeing the gospel, seeing the gospel's heartbeat of adoption should radically impact our lives every day. When we come to just bask in this and take this in, we're going to be changed. It's going to radically impact our lives, but not just our lives for today, but really each and every day. And I want us to consider that. And so understanding the pillars and privileges that we've gone over is hopefully going to help us to understand the practical implications. And so today we're going to just look at four realities. Reality number one is this, give due credit. Because of the father's role in adoption, which we've already seen, we should rightly respond and acknowledge to him with worship. That is what our lives should be. We were giving credit where credit is due. Psalm 96 says this, Ascribe to the Lord, you families of people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and enter into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Let the whole earth tremble before him. Now, you and I don't really use the word ascribe too much. Ascribe is to rightly acknowledge. 
to render praise, to give credit where credit is due. So to ascribe to the Lord is to give the the glory due to the name of the Lord. It's acknowledging Him and His holiness and His worthiness to be praised, to give worship with our lives. We should unapologetically ascribe our praise and worship before the Lord. That's, That's what he's getting at here. To God the Father, we ought to acknowledge all that he's done. You wouldn't just be invited to the table, eat and enjoy all those things, then push away and like not say thank you, not acknowledge, wow, this has been amazing. No, we would want to acknowledge it and give the praise and honor due to that individual for that, that act. Well, if God is our Father and we are his family, we should honor him as such. You know, when we think of this father-child thing, when we think of the, the Ten Commandments and God says to honor our father, right, ascribe to him. The same is true in this relationship with we as his children and he as our father. We are to ascribe to him. We are to give credit to him, to continually uh, give thanks for his grace and his mercy and, and be willing to give of our time and our talents and acknowledge and adore and ascribe to him in all areas of life. Give credit where credit is due. If you were to flip over a few chapters, a very popular verse, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I just want you to see a few things. Therefore, brothers and sisters, there's this family again, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you, I beg of you, I plead for you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. This is you ascribing to God, acknowledging God. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Did you see that the conform, the transform there, the renewing of your mind? That's the aspect of being in the family, right? Identifying as a family member. But then it's, remember that the family business going to carry on? Well, we ought to be able to know the, the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. And through his spirit, we're able to discern and learn and grow and walk in those ways. To ascribe to the Lord is to rightly acknowledge the Lord in all areas of life. Let me ask you this. Do not answer this out loud. How are you doing in that? You don't want me to answer that either. At times, I think I'm doing pretty good. And when I think I'm doing pretty good, then I'm humbled to realize I'm not doing so good. I actually have much room for growth and change. But I want to ask you just a couple of things I want you to consider because are you giving credit where credit is due? Are you acknowledging, ascribing to God, giving him the adoration, praise, and thanksgiving in all areas of your life as he calls us to? So here's the questions. Do your actions adequately reflect the Father and we as his children? Do you seek to continually honor the Lord in your attitude and your actions? Do we seek to acknowledge him every day or merely on Sunday? Sunday is my day where I praise and worship God. Do we freely, graciously, and generously give to the Lord? Or do we hold and hoard? Or do we live and give to the Father with open hearts and open hands before him, saying, Lord, this is my life, this is my stuff, this is my time, my talents, my Lord, I give it all to you. I want to serve you. I want to ascribe to you. I want to adore you. I want to give credit to you where credit is due. When someone wants to pat you on the back, do you say, well, glory to God, but by the grace of God, or do you be like, yeah, I am pretty smart. I am pretty good. I am pretty strong. I am pretty good looking. 
but by the grace of God, right? We, we ought to be able to acknowledge God in all of these things rather than taking on our own credit and saying, look at me and how awesome I am. No, 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 we ought to ascribe to the Lord. Let me ask you a few more questions. Do we enter God's presence with a genuine reverence and respect, looking to rightly worship the Lord? Or do we come to church or approach our time with the Lord as just a ritual, just a routine? This is something that I have to do. No, 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 no. We're supposed to ascribe to him. Don't know what that is. If any of you, I'm sure many of you have, you've gone to graduation speeches, and at the graduation speech, you might hear a son stand up there and say, I just want to give thanks to my father who loved me, who was patient with me, who sought to discern and correct me and, and sought to just patiently walk with me. And I would not be here today if it was not for my father. And as I leave this place today, I want to seek to honor my father and walk in his ways. Dad, I'm going to seek to do you proud as I walk out of here with my diploma today. What are they doing in that moment? They're, they're, they're ascribing, I wouldn't be here except for this one person that's been super influential within my life. You see, you and I ought to ascribe that way to the Lord saying, I would not be here if it were not for the Lord working in my life. And because of what the Lord has done in my life, I want to, the best I can, resemble that family resemblance to God the Father, be a good image bearer of Christ. And I also want to carry on this family business. I don't want to just uh, make a, a mess of things. I want to ascribe to the Lord in all things. You see, our lives as children of God ought to ascribe to him. The Father longs for us. Consider this. The Father longs for us to ascribe to him, to adore him, to acknowledge him, to love him as he loves us. That's what he desires. That's what he wants of us. That's what he wants of me, and that's what he wants of you. You see, God didn't adopt us as children to just abandon us. Rather, he adopted us so that we would ascribe to him and abide in him. That's what he wants in adoption. Like, I love you. I love you so much. I want to be with you. I, I, I want this. Ascribe to him. You see, to rightly ascribe to the Lord as the almighty creator, sustainer, and eternal father, we do understand this family resemblance to God. We truly seek to give credit where credit is due. But we should also seek to embrace the unlimited access we have to the Father, which leads us to our second point. Use unlimited access. These are realities, and so there's some, we talked about the privileges last week, but there's a reality that I think we, we tend to forget sometimes. It's the reality that we have this unlimited access to God the Father. We need to realize this, to have access to bring our petitions, our prayers before him. Now, the word access, you're probably more familiar with this word, but I just want you to hear this. Access is to be granted the freedom and or ability to enter, the liberty to approach or to pass by from one place to the next. If we lived in a kingdom, getting to meet the king would be very hard. You don't just walk up to the king. You have limited or no access to the king. He's the king, this is my kingdom, and you are not allowed here. Super limited, if at all. But here's what we understand. 
there are some that have full access to the king. You know who that is? It's his children. It's the father. If you were to watch some of the, you know, this time of year, always there's looking back on the life of JFK. And if you watch some of that stuff, what you're going to see is John F. Kennedy sitting in his office. And you're going to see the pictures of the little children. No one else can have access to come into the president and just talk with them. But the children, they can come and go. Why? Because it's their Abba. It's their father. It's their dad. You and I as Christians have that. We obtain that. We get that. Not everyone gets that. You see, that this privilege that we get is not granted through some secret code or some religious leaders, that only they have this special privilege or access. You see that is somewhat true in the, the limited access to God the Father in the Old Testament. But when, when the veil is rent at the cross, we now get this unlimited access, direct access to the throne of grace through Christ. There's those who have access, his children, and those who do not have access. Now, God at any time can, can hear the prayers of the wicked, but he is under no obligation to. But the righteous, those that are in Christ, who are made righteous not because of we're awesome, but because of Jesus and his righteousness that he instills upon us, we are made righteous. And so listen to just a couple things. Um, we're actually only going to read one, but Romans 8.34 just talks about Jesus sitting on the right hand of the Father who intercedes for us. 1 John 2, 1 says, my, my children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Because of the advocate, Jesus, where once sin is this barrier, this blockade, where our prayers do not get beyond this roof, through Christ, we now have this intercessor who longs to intercede. For what we pray to God the Father through Christ. We get this. Hebrews 7, 27 says, Jesus is able to completely save and always lives ready to intercede. Do you get that? 24-7 access. You can try to get a hold of me anytime. Call me anytime and I will ignore you or miss your call or something, but you can't get a hold of me. I'm not always listening. You might be talking to me, but I'm not listening. But we can have the ear of God at any time as children of God, because he's our father. This is what Jesus wants us to understand. Day or night, work at home, good or bad, large crowd or feeling alone, we can enter into the throne room of grace and obtain, obtain grace and mercy in our time of need. This is huge. But here's what we come to understand. The father is under no obligation to hear the prayers of the rebels or those who reject him. So this is where you say, uh-oh, Hopefully I'm a child of God, because if I'm not, I mean, I'm not making this up. This is the word of God, okay? If you want to debate this, take it up with God, who isn't necessarily open to always hearing you because you're not in the righteous one. But this is what Proverbs 15 says. The Lord is far from the wicked, far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Proverbs 28. Anyone who turns his ear away from hearing the law even his prayer is detestable. So those that say, I don't care about the things of God, your prayer to God is detestable. Unless you're a child of God, then things are different. Peter said this, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. 
But the face of the Lord, listen to this, the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. So someone that is not a Christian, that is not a child of God, they say, I feel like God doesn't hear my prayers, or I don't, I don't see God working within my life. Why? He's not obligated to hear them. They need to know about the great intercessor of Christ, and so we need to point them to that. That's for later, though. Here's what I come to understand. The father is not prone to incline his ears to the wicked, but here's what we need to grasp as adopted children of God, if that's you. He is inclined to hear from his wearied and worn down children. So if you've ever been there, just feeling beat up by the world, oh, oh, no one sees, no one understands. No, God sees, God understands, and we actually have access to him. We could park there for so long, but just know this, we have this. I read this this week in the Westminster Confession. It states this, it's very short, but it's, it's so powerful. Listen to this. To be adopted is to receive God's name, check, and to have access to God's throne, check, his pity, his protection, his provision, his discipline, and his promises to never abandon us. We have access to this God the Father. When the disciples wanted to learn how to pray, you guys all know, what what did Jesus teach them? His first words are, our Father which art in heaven. He was wanting his children to understand, you have this Father that you can cry out to. This is a reality. This isn't some made up fluffy, hope he hears. No, this is what Jesus proclaimed. What a sweet, wonderful truth that we need to embrace. You know, you and I, we can have our struggles, our anxieties, our dreams, our desires, our questions. And we can lay them at the feet of our Heavenly Father. If you were to do a study on the Psalms of Lament, just look up Psalms of Lament, what you're going to see is people pouring out their heart it's real, and it's raw, and it's, oh, it looks horrible. And yet, usually, most of those psalms of lament, they, they start in this deep, dark place. And as they cry out to the Lord over the course of time, we see that God has a breakthrough. That God does something that they hadn't been able to see in the midst of the darkness. That's the God that we're to cry out to. That's the God we're supposed to call out to, bring our petitions to, give our thanks to, give our troubles to. Uh, we, we give our, our, our praise to him for the successes, and we also bring our sins and our struggles before him. This is the one who longs to hear from us. We serve a heavenly father who sees, who knows, who listens, and lovingly awaits to hear from us and to grant his grace according to his great and providential will. He longs to do these things. So let me ask you these questions. Are you, con- are you communing with the Lord in prayer throughout the day? Are you enjoying private prayer life? Are you embracing prayer in all places at all times? Like, I mean, I love what Paul says where we ought to have the spirit of continually being in prayer. That is, even as we work uh, throughout our day or in our home or we're amongst others, we can have this continual thought of, Lord, give me, give me the grace to have patience right now. Give me the ability to love right now because I'm lacking these things. In that moment, he can grant those things. What a wonderful privilege that oftentimes we might push to the side. We don't realize the reality of this, and he calls us into this. 
We're not going to look at the prodigal son today, but one of the things I love about Jesus telling the, the story of the prodigal son is that when he sees the, 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 the son coming back to him, he sees, he hears, he knows all these things. What does the father do? He doesn't give him a laundry list of things and say, then you can be admitted back into my fold. The father runs to him. The father loves him. The father, even before the son says anything, stands ready and willing to forgive, to celebrate, and to give him this new life. Jesus was giving this picture of our heavenly father. What a great thought. So we ought to not only give credit where credit is due, we ought to understand and enjoy the unlimited access to the Father, but we should also fully embrace the guarantees from our Father. That's our third aspect, our third reality. Know your guarantees. You see, adoption provides many certainties. Being adopted brings great securities and assurances, both future and present. Just as a human adoption takes care of some legal realities, the finalization, the family union, that's what happens at adoption. In our spiritual adoption, we must also realize this is a once and forever transaction. So once you're in, you're in. Yeah, but I messed up. You're in. He loves you. He forgives you. He longs to continue to conform and transform you. He longs to renew your mind. You're in. Yeah, but I did this. No, you're in. No, but you're in. It's a guarantee. Listen to John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. We're, we're in. We're following. I give them eternal life. Woo! And they will never perish. I'm pretty sure that's a promise. It is. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me that is, Father to Son, Jesus, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You got that, right? God's got you, and it's a guarantee. This ought to give us hope in the midst of feeling hopeless. And so, although we may face times of uncertainties, we can grow tired and grow weary, there's a guarantee here. In our spiritual journey, we might go two steps forward and maybe three steps back, not really making the forward progress that we want, or, and we can become discouraged. Well, I, I just don't know. So listen, God adopted you in. And just embrace him as a loving father who longs to continue to sanctify, change, transform you. We're not going to be perfect this side of heaven. It doesn't mean we still don't pursue uh, righteousness. We do. But sometimes we just say, oh, that's too hard, and we want to throw in the towel. No, 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 no. God the Father loves you. He cares for you. Just as if a good father here, you as a son, maybe mess up time and time again. What does a good father do? Son, I love you, man. You're my son. I'm not very happy with what you did, but you're my son. And we're going to try to work through this because you're my son. You'll always be my son, right? That's what we need to understand, that this guarantee of who God the Father is. You know, there's a lot of things that <clears throat> I don't know. But here's one thing I do know. Jesus promised this. He said, in this life you will have tribulation or trials. This is John chapter 16. So like, this is a guarantee. So we ought to expect the unexpected. Why do I say that now? Because some, sometimes here's what happens. When life goes from bad to worse, we seem to have 
times of doubt and get discouraged and wonder, is God there? Is God seeing? Is God God knowing? When our infinite plans don't exactly work out, we can find ourselves lacking the assurance or security, but that's where we must trust in the promises of our infinite Father and what his word says. And so rather than letting anxiety rule within your heart and mind, take assurance in the authority of the word of God, which reveals a compassionate Father who deeply cares for you and delightfully carries you through the trials and troubles of life. You see, that's who God the Father is. That that is his heart. He sees, he knows, he cares, and he longs to carry you through. It doesn't mean a problem-free life or a pain-free life. He never promises that. Why would we experience that this side of heaven? That would be called heaven, okay? That is future. That is yet to come. We live in a sin-cursed, broken world, and he says, I know it's rough, I know it's tough, and yet my grace is sufficient to carry you through. So do not be weary in well-doing, my friends. My sons, my daughters, do not be weary. You continue on, and by my grace, I will carry you through. I have bigger, greater, better purposes that you know not of. And so, as God does allow suffering, he often does it to showcase his love, his sufficient strength to carry us through, but he also does it to, within us, for us to showcase him. How are you able to get through this? Well, by God's grace. I have this loving Heavenly Father who loves to take care of me. See, I've been adopted into the family. And, and, and sometimes it's through the greatest suffering in which we can showcase God the Father in a which a way we couldn't do before. You see, when my life is perfect, smooth sailing, no problems, it's, it's easy for me to take on the credit of, oh, yeah. But when I am humbled by life's circumstances, it's then and only then that I want to cry out to God, my Father, for help. If you're a parent, you know your kid might be trying to, to do something and they're struggling, they're struggling, they're struggling, and you come in, let's say they're trying to get the cereal off the top shelf. They can't do it, right? It's no problem for you, the Father. Boom, and you do it. That, that is God, the Father, sees us, and in the midst of that, by his grace, he can come to our aid and come to our rescue as we, as we need and as he sees fit. Okay. You know, we live in interesting times. I think you know that. Um, but when I say that, I'm talking about living in a state of the already and not yet. Listen to this. Our adoption transaction is completed to be legally and permanently in God's family. But we eagerly await for the full experience of our adoption. You see, God doesn't adopt us into his family to leave us in a state of suffering, moaning, and groaning forever. He actually has something much more glorious in due time. We already read up to verse 17 of Romans 8. Listen to verse 18 through 23. And we're not going to dissect this. I just want you to hear it. So just... Just listen, just take it in. For I consider the suffering of this present time are not worthy of comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but willingly of him who subjected it to him in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. There is a lot there. Just keep listening. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. So since the, the fall of man back in Genesis, life has been hard and only continues to be hard. And the world, we're groaning. We would say, this, is not, this life is not perfect. This life is not pretty. This life is messy. This life is messed up. This life is broken. Yes. And there's a groaning for something else. Listen to this, though. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the spirit of the first fruits, that is, we who are in Christ, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. You see, there are some real-life realities here. And I'm not looking to, to minimize your hurt and your, your struggle, but I am looking to, to maximize the real-life reality of the promises. He says here, in our life, we're going to groan, we're going to moan, we're going to experience pain. Because, yes, we've been adopted legally, but we're not fully enjoying it as we should yet. That day is coming. Like, let's say I was to do an overseas adoption, and I can do all the transactions in this third world country, and I can seal the deal. But until I, I, I go to them and rescue them from that bad situation, are they going to actually enjoy and appreciate it? So while currently we can enjoy and appreciate certain things of God, we're not fully enjoying and basking in all that adoption has to offer. We're, we're waiting for it. That's why I say we're living in the already. We have been adopted, but the not yet. We're not fully enjoying it yet. But the day is coming. So that's future. We ought to hold on to that hope, that confident expectation of what God promises. But listen to this. There are some words that should be comforting to us right now. And they're not my words. I have nothing to offer. It's the words of Christ. So listen to this. Listen to the words of Christ. We're only going to look at John 14, 18 through 25. I'd love to unpack the whole chapter there another day. In the beginning of that chapter, he says, I've got to prepare a place for you. This is Jesus prior to ascending and departing from them, okay? He's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm actually going to send to you the comfort of the Holy Spirit actually sent from the Father, and you're going to enjoy this thing. And so as he goes on to speak of that, listen to the words that he speaks in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while the world no longer will see me, but you will see me because I live, and you will live too. And on that day you will know that I am in my Father. You are in me, and I am in you. You need to read and study that. The one who has, uh, who has my commands and keeps these is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will receive reveal myself to him. So this is what Jesus said. And then Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Listen to what Jesus said. He's talking to believers, those who were adopted in. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and will come to him and make our home in him. Did you catch that? My Father will love him and will come to him and make our home in him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word, the word that uh, you hear is not mine, but from the Father who sent me. So he gives this teaching on the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he says, that Spirit, 
is going to be sent from the Father and he's going to dwell and make this home within you. So while there's this home being prepared by Jesus, there's also this home in which God the Father comes to indwell us through his Spirit. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, that's what it says, in my name will teach you all things and remind you everything I have told you. So God the Father is going to send the secret agent, the Holy Spirit, to indwell the believer, the adopted child of God. Doesn't indwell and make home within those who reject Christ, but those who are adopted in. They get this Holy Spirit who, who indwells to give counsel and comfort and strength and teach and correct and all of these things and beyond. Take assurance that God the Father has given and continues to give you and me as children of God all that we need. It's not all, always all according to our plans, but his. But we can rest in his confidence. Like, this is what Jesus said. And if you trust Jesus and you want to follow Jesus, you ought to abide in what he just said. The Father looks to dwell with you within his Holy Spirit, within us. Take assurance that God the Father has given these things and continues to do so. Embracing the Father's assurance helps us to bear the family resemblance while also fulfilling the family business. We're almost done. As we suffer well, we are able to showcase Christ. That, 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 this is a guarantee. God the Father is actively working to expand his kingdom by calling people into his family. This is a reality which leads us kind of to our last reality, our last implication concerning this, this announcement of the good news of, of, of the gospel. We've got to share the benefits. You're like, what is share the benefits? Sharing the, the benefits is proclaiming the good news. It's advertising the blessings, right? If you get a new job and they, they give you all these benefits, you're going to go tell everybody. If you are adopted into God's family, the good news is too good to just hold on to. We must take this and let others know there's actually still room at the table. We're not going to look at this one either, but in just a moment, I'm going to talk about Luke chapter 14. But before there, in the Old Testament, we see God the Father speaking audibly and all of these things where God has a voice. But you know God actually speaks in the New Testament, there's a few times where he speaks in the New Testament when Jesus is going to be sent, God the Father, through angels, sends message. A message from God to Joseph, to Mary, to the shepherds. He has this message for them. And then when Jesus goes public with his ministry and gets baptized, God the Father says, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God the Father says this. And then at the... the, the the, the Mount of Transfiguration, God the Father speaks once again. He says, this is the chosen one. Listen to him. And Jesus has lots to say, but oftentimes the things he says, he says something like this. The things that I speak, this is John 12, I speak just as the Father has told me. So you want to know the message of God the Father? Listen to Jesus because he spoke all that the Father wanted. And here's one of the messages that Jesus spoke. It's this parable of the great banquet in Luke chapter 14. Many of you are probably familiar with this, but I want to give you the, the, the summary. Jesus is describing God the Father. He's describing this great kingdom yet to come. Basically, the master sends out a servant 
And he says, invite everyone. We got this big banquet. And so he goes out. The servant goes out. Many are invited, but many give excuses. Excuse after excuse after excuse. Reasons why they can't come. So he goes back to the master. And he says, listen, I want you to go back out. I want you to go to the streets and the alleys and find the outcasts by society, the hindered, the handicapped, the people who have nothing to offer and nothing to repay. Invite those people in. So he's going to listen to the, the king. He's going to listen to the master. The servant goes out and invites them into this banquet. Hey, come one, come all, come, 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 come. Banquet, come. We've got a seat at the table for you. Come. So he does that. And he comes back a third time. He says, I've done all those things. I've done it all. And the master says, you know what? And yet, you can look at it in the story. And yet there is room. So what I want you to do, I want you to go back out there. <laughs> I've already been once, I've already been, no, go back out there. And he instructs the servant, go back out to the highways and to the hedges and make them come in so that my house is full. I got a seat at the table for more. I want them to come in. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He wants them to be adopted in. You can't just hold on to this when there's a seat at the table for more to come in. We cannot hold on to this. You know, obviously, Christmas is around the corner. Christmas is coming. And in the Christmas narrative, we see the message of God the Father. And what was the message of God the Father? I am sending my Son, the Chosen One, the Redeemer for mankind, the Anointed One, to man... So that man would be not orphaned, but adopted in. So they would have a seat at the table. Listen, the benefits of adoption are too good to just hold on to. We must be like the servant of Luke chapter 14, who are willing to go out and share the benefits. There is a table and it's set and there's this marvelous banquet and I want you to be a part of it. You can be adopted in. You, you, you. You see, adoption isn't just... The birth of Christ isn't just his birth. It's the new birth that he offers us. It's this new birthright into God's family through the gospel. We should let individuals know about this Christ so that they would become a child of God. It's the exact reason for the season. We hear that, but it's true. What a benefit, what a blessing that we go from outsiders with no seat at the table to having a seat at the table through this beautiful picture of adoption.